Hello there, welcome to The Profit Margin with me, Naomi McMullen and Jamie DeLarge. This week we're looking at family businesses. They play a critical role in our local economy and they're bigger than you think. You're listening to The Profit Margin with First Trust Bank. Family businesses, they range from the corner shop to multi-million pound operations. They have many strengths. Unlike the typical PLC, they're usually better able to take the long view. That helps to make them more resilient and long-lasting. But they often suffer from the same weakness. Lack of clear strategy for handing over control from one generation to the next. There are initiatives, however, aimed at easing the transition. Jimmy went along to an event staged by accountancy firm Harbinson Mulholland to hear what's best practice. He spoke to Michael Walsh, who has a long association with family business and investment in the South. Family business have a very distinct ethos and it comes from the sense of family and the sense of belonging and the sense that the family's ownership of the business and involvement in the business brings to the business, to its employees, to its customers. It goes further than that because family business do tend in general to take a longer term perspective perspective uh, than, say, a regular PLC that may be subject to uh, earnings demands or earnings expectations. The family can take a five to ten year perspective. And I've worked in family businesses where we consciously sat down and made decisions about acquiring other businesses that we knew would depress profits for at least three to four years. We knew would depress dividends for at least three to four years. But we also knew or were confident would put the business in a much stronger position five, seven, ten years hence, really looking towards the next generation. That sounds as if they are, in a sense, more robust entities than perhaps PLCs. What's your view on that? They can be if they survive the first and second generation, the uh, first, second and third generation. The old story of clogs to clogs in three generations is very, very true. But businesses or family businesses that do survive that initial intergenerational transfer can do very, very well indeed. How do they survive that? It's actually about making sure that they put the structures in place to to reinforce the familiness of the business. And by that I mean ensuring that family members, whether they work in the business or are outside the business but continue to be shareholders, have have an understanding of what the business is doing, how the business is developing, and retain not just their financial commitment but their family commitment to the business as part of the wider family. Now, how do you, um, uh, if you like, progress those things? I mean, because there's obviously the potential for things to go very badly wrong given that there are family emotions involved. To coin a phrase, communicate, communicate, communicate. Uh, And that's uh, slightly flippant, but it's not so flippant. Um, The important thing, in my view, is to make sure that all family members feel that they have a connection to the business and that the, the people in the business work strongly to maintain and reinforce that connection. Is the issue of bringing in fresh talent, non family talent, particularly difficult? It can be, but it shouldn't be. Um, If the business is growing and the objective of all family businesses is to grow, then the family should be uh, sufficiently self-aware to acknowledge that new talent is always a good thing in a business. As I say, I've worked in a family business that for, for its first 125 years had only three uh, family members as CEO. That business has now gone from its first non-family CEO to its second non-family CEO and now as a non-family chairman. 
that business is still very, very robust as a family business. It's robust because it's got over 100 family member shareholders, and they still feel a deep and close association to the, to the company, to its legacy, and a pride in what the company has achieved and continues to achieve. Research by Ulster University shows family businesses make up most of our largest locally owned firms. Michael McQuillan is director of Ulster University's Business Institute. Family businesses are crucial. I would consider them in many ways to be the backbone of the economy. Uh, We are doing a lot of work uh, in the university with some of our stakeholders across the economy at looking at the ecosystem. Uh, within which, within which uh, businesses start up and, and grow. An analysis last year of the top 100 indigenous businesses in Northern Ireland that we did in partnership with Harbinson and Holland identified that 72 out of those top 100 indigenous businesses were indeed family businesses. So if you like, 72% of the indigenous businesses in Northern Ireland uh, are family businesses. Those 100 top indigenous businesses uh, were employing 52,000 people and are a massive contributor uh, to the overall economy. Uh, and traditionally, uh, uh, businesses, family businesses have without doubt been uh, the, the backbone because they've been the businesses that have been started, have started up uh, in villages and towns and cities uh, across Northern Ireland for hundreds and hundreds of years. Uh, and that continues to be uh, the case. We're looking uh, at, at the moment at, at uh, the future of Northern Ireland and, and, and how our economy must continue to grow, must continue to rebalance. Uh, and then the working of those equations, creating the right environment, the right ecosystem, if you like, getting the actors and factors right in the ecosystem for family businesses is therefore incredibly important. Well. Can you explain to me to the extent of which uh, the family businesses themselves are addressing early enough this issue, the twin issues perhaps, of bringing in new talent um, to augment what's already there and also to deal with the, the question of succession? Many of the family businesses get it right. There are some tremendous examples from Northern Ireland of iconic family businesses who have become global, international businesses with growth year after year, decade after decade in in, in some cases. And I'm a great believer that that growth comes from when you get the people equation right. And a family business is actually just another business. The difference is that it's how the family relate to that business, how many of them work in that business, uh, who runs the business, what is the ownership structure of that business. And therefore you come to two very key things when it comes to peopleizing your growth. Uh, And one is succession. Uh, And a lot of families think about it, think about it in time, but many don't until it's too late. And what sometimes you then get is a business that has grown maybe through 10, 15, 20 years, it may be plateaus. The next generation, in terms of, of, of ownership, have gone off maybe and done their own thing, or maybe there isn't a next generation. And that first generation owner is left with a situation where maybe they've still too much of, of their own intellectual property invested in that business, and they're left with nowhere to shift it, nowhere to, to, to move it on to. But many get that right. The, the, the tip is, think about it very, very early. But that leads you to the second one because 
family businesses don't necessarily always have to uh, employ family people to lead the business and to manage the business. And indeed, the healthier ones are those that look at bringing talent in from outside and developing talent uh, from within. Most of the healthier family businesses uh, in Northern Ireland and indeed in, in economies beyond that in the North uh, have a really good, rich blend of family members and external people uh, who have come in and grown with the business, who sit on their board, direct different departments and direct and support and help the growth uh, of the business. So it's very important that the family business, again, very early on in, in, in their growth journey or on their growth curve, decide that if we're going to really be true to ourselves, be true to the values of the business and plan for growth of this business, We've got to put the business first and get the right people on board, the right people in senior management uh, positions, the right people selling our business at home and abroad if we're really going to be true to the business. There are practical steps that a family business should undertake to smooth the handover. Jamie asked Darren Madole how early that process should start. I think just as early as possible, the family should sit down and work through what their succession plans are, for example, to, to take one point. And I think that can't happen early enough because the clearer that is and the clearer the lines of communication are throughout the family, then the more painless the process is when it gets closer to those major events such as succession. Give me an idea of the very practical steps that family businesses should be taking. Okay, so one of the things they should do is look at the whole area of governance, and that's family governance. And the way to do that is to set up a family council and to elect somebody within the family to drive that process. And really what that starts to do is look at what the family wants out of the business. And what they do is sit down and then the out, outflowing of that is a, is a proper family charter. Now, a family charter is, is not a legal document and it's not a financial document. It is a very unique piece of information to that family and to that business. And I, I think that's really the practical outworkings of how to address not only succession, but all the other issues that can arise in the very uh, successful, very often successful family business scenario. I'm, I'm not surprised if you answer this in the positive. Do they need to bring in professional advice? I think they do. I mean, I, I think ultimately the document, the family charter I'm referring to, is their document. It's something that they have to create and, and drive. But there will be professional requirements around financial, such as our, uh, which would involve chartered accountants such as ourselves, Holmes and Holland, and also legal, which would need lawyers involved. So yes, there there are definitely professional outworkings. And, and stepping back, it can also be beneficial when, once the process is developed to bring in an independent, objective you to perhaps finesse the document. That sounds possibly quite expensive. Need it be a very costly process? I don't believe that it needs to be a very costly process. I believe the question family businesses need to ask is how much could it cost them if they don't do it? And we in our practice see time and again difficult situations for very successful families because of relationship or other succession issues that really could have been stopped in their tracks had these things started much earlier on in, in the family businesses. Is there a one-size-fits-all model to address these issues? No, no. These, these documents are unique and personal to the family and the particular backgrounds and experiences that those families and their individual businesses have. It is absolutely not a one-size-fits-all.
One family business that's already investigating how to manage the succession from parent to children is GPS Colour Graphics. It's a printing firm based in East Belfast. Lorraine Bell, a daughter of the founder, told Jamie more of the firm's background. Lorraine, tell me a little bit about the history of GPS. GPS, or Graphic Printing Services, was started by my father in 1973. He had initially undertaken an apprenticeship as a printer and after several years decided to start his own company. And you joined the company then some years ago? I started in the company about 1994 and uh, that was after I had um, undertaken a degree in business studies. But it wasn't just yourself, other members of the company joined up too? Well, my sister uh, joined about six years later. Again, she had uh, undertaken a degree in business studies. Um, My brother joined the company about five years ago um, after doing a law degree. One is struck by the thought that probably between the three of you, you didn't have a huge knowledge of printing. Uh, We were very green to printing. Whenever we came in, we had spent some time during the summer holidays helping out in the printing company, but um, as to the day-to-day running of it and what was involved in printing, no, we had absolutely no idea. And has your father still got a continuing interest in, in running the company? Yes, my dad is still very actively involved. We're in the process of moving to a new building and he has been hands-on with that, talking to architects, specking out where the machines should go, very, very involved. But at a certain point, he will be handing over the reins uh, to yourselves. Now, that is a delicate process. How are you managing it? Well, over the last several years, that process, it's an ongoing process. It's not something that will happen overnight. So over the last several years, some of the day-to-day stuff, the strategic decisions have been handed over to my brother, my sister and myself. And um, as a family, we do make decisions jointly. It's got to the point where we're all listened to, we all trust each other, we all respect each other. So at the moment, we are in that phase, whereas I think you know, over the next couple of years, my dad will start to phase himself more and more out of the company. At the moment, have you got a family charter, the thing that seems quite important in terms of transitioning from parental control to the control of children? At the moment, we don't have a family charter, but it is something we're very interested in putting together. At the moment, uh, the whole family gets on very well together, and we hope that will continue into the future. But just in case we have a disagreement, it would be good to have it in writing as to where we go from there. And would you recommend other family businesses to follow suit? I think it's a good idea. If you never need it, then it's not a problem. But if you do need it and it's not there, then you may have a problem. Lorraine Bell there. Now with a look at what's coming up in the week ahead, here's Neil Parker from First Trust Bank. Coming up, we'll have GDP figures from both the US and the UK. In the US, much attention recently has been on the upcoming election. And that has taken the focus off a mildly slowing economy. Growth in the US has been slipping over recent years, while inflation has been on the rise. Never good signs for an economy. In the UK, it's a similar story, with falling growth and rising inflation. It's more worrying for the UK over the next few years, as we should brace ourselves for a marked slowdown in the face of Brexit. Consumer spending and business investment already seems to have stalled, and inflation will put further pressure on household incomes over the winter. And oil prices, well, they're on the rise again. We're already feeling the effects of this at the pumps and when topping up with home heating oil. It's not good news for businesses as well, as factory input prices and transportation costs continue to rise, adding more inflation to a slowing economy. 
Now it's that time when we showcase a startup. This week, it's one of the finalists from the Invest NI Propel program, which aims to find new businesses with big potential. Stepping into the lift to pitch this week, it's Elemental. Here's one of the co-founders. My name is Leanne Mongoskill, and I'm the director and co-founder of Elemental Software. What we do, we provide a digital solution for the social prescribing model of healthcare. Because chronic conditions are rising and so to your costs, it's presenting massive problems for the NHS. So clinical commissioning groups, local authorities and health trusts across the UK and further afield are being put under immense pressure to implement the More Than Medicine approach. And what this More Than Medicine approach is, social prescribing. So we have the digital tool to enable the social prescribing model of care. If you want to find out more information, info at elementalsoftware.co or www.elementalsoftware.co. Thank you very much. So go check them out. And if you'd like to get in touch with us, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook at The Profit Margin. And you can also email me, Naomi, at theprofitmargin.co.uk. Thanks for listening. You're listening to The Profit Margin with First Trust Bank.